This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here. Today on the show, Tori Peters. I love this writer. Tori wrote this book, Detransition Baby, that was like a huge, huge book this year, last year. I don't know what yours are, but, um, and also I love speaking with Tori. What a smart person. You're going to love this episode. Hey, you know what else you're going to love? Coming to see me do stand up. <laughs> like April 16th, I will be in Kansas at the Free State Festival headlining that festival. Also, I will be in Vancouver, where I currently live in a hotel, on May 28th. And then you know what else? And why did I do these out of order? On May 6th, I will be in L.A. for the Netflix Comedy Festival at Dynasty Typewriter. So I got three festival appearances coming up in Kansas, in Vancouver, in Los Angeles. That's fun. Hey, another thing is, are you watching me on A Million Little Things? It's the ABC show that I'm on right now, and it's also available on Hulu. Cute. I I take my shirt off in it. So it's very sexy. You're going to love it. Uh, enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Tori Peters. I'm the author of Detransition Baby, which is a novel. Which I loved. It's so good. And congratulations. I know that it's also gotten a ton of um, positive response, which is all deserved. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a a pretty funny year for me because my my first two novellas were self-published and like you know for like an imagined audience of eight people so this has been <laughs> something of a change <laughs> yeah maybe talk a little bit about that um you know i feel like everybody i knew was talking about this book but i also have um nerd friends who read a lot so you know i don't really know what um yeah, what the experience was like of publishing it and, and how, um, what the, that response was like for you to receive. I mean, it's like, it was really different because what my actual experience of it, it was like, you know, during pandemic and what people told me were really different. I, the dream was always that, like, you publish a book and you like see somebody reading it on the train or something totally. like that. But it's like, and I just didn't take the train that much. And, you know, and if yeah. I did, it was like, oh, uh, like that person's masked. I have no idea who they are, like what, what, what they're feeling about the book, even if I, if I were to see them. But I, I was gratified to get a bunch of pictures of people reading it at like the, the queer section of re-speech, you know, just like people out on their blankets. At, like, <laughs> Which is the, the beach in New York. Yeah, the beach in New York. It's the, it's like the one in the Rockaways where in front of the, old Neponset hospital where like all the queers hang out and it's kind of like a scene so um that my book attended Reese Beach was like really gratifying to me yeah and do you think maybe you could just tell me a little bit about like vague overview of what Detransition Baby is about 
Sure. I have I have my elevator pitch down, I think. So <laughs> I bet you it's, do. Uh, it's, uh, so it's the story of Reese, who, who is um, sort of like Fleabag, but trans. And in Brooklyn, like her life's a bit messy. She's dating married men. She's in her 30s, unsure what to do next. And the action kicks off when her ex, Ames, who used to be a trans woman named Amy, but detransitioned, gets his boss, Katrina, pregnant, and then reapproaches Reese with a proposal for them to like become a triad in an unconventional family. And that's like just the first chapter. Like there's no spoilers <sighs> in that. It's just like kind of that, just get that drama in and then just go from there. Right. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess I will say it's like, well, at least for me reading it, like, yes, that's like a really dramatic setup and in a fun way where you're where I was like, oh, great. You know, can't wait to find out what happens. But then also, I mean, it's not like twists and turns, um, I think, for like the sake of twists and turns. Like it actually is like a character study um, of, you know, these three people and and especially of recent Ames and sort of like going back through their life together. And, um, you know, I think that's for me anyway, what really stood out to me about the book is that it just felt like I um it felt like it almost felt like I had lived these experiences because it was so well written from these characters' perspectives. And I think, um, you know, given the characters that you just described, there's like a whole I mean, there's a lot to say about the like social justice element of just letting people see um like an inside view of some of these experiences. Mm-hmm. But then it's also like fun and sexy. Um, but there but it's a big deal, I think, that this book was received so well and also um that it doesn't take like the trans experience as voyeuristic it's like it's lived you know Mm -hmm. um so maybe you could talk a little bit about anything i just said or if you want or i can also ask you a question there's like a bunch of different things no i'm happy to just respond to that i mean you know i think it felt lived because i was trying to answer questions for myself you know i wasn't trying to sort of there i didn't have like a uh, kind of an argument that I was trying to make. I was I was on the far side of transition. I was in my 30s. And, you know, I was kind of like, well, now what? Now what do I do? How do I live? And, like, how do I find some sort of meaning? And, and so much of transition is consumed with, you know, like, just trying to be, trying to, trying to make it work, you know, get, get, get through transition. And, and then suddenly you're on the far side and you're like, I guess I have the rest of my life. Like I did this thing. And, and I looked around, I was like, kind of like, now what, now what do we do? And, um, there weren't a lot of like ready answers. And I think it's because, I mean, certainly I know a lot of trans women from the generation before me and, you know, they've lived vibrant lives, but the but the context in which they were living is really different. You know, like the struggles of, of somebody who was transitioning in the 90s was, was it, it wasn't, um, you know, the things were a lot more immediate for survival. It was like, there was, it was HIV, the time of HIV, you know, there was suicide, there was alcoholism, alcoholism, you couldn't get hired for jobs. It was difficult to like find, um, you know, long-term relationships uh, and, and, Oftentimes, trans women were going stealth and avoiding each other um, because they they you know didn't want their didn't want anyone to know that they're trans. So, 
for my generation, it's like our horizon of possibility was so is is different. And so how to make decisions with that horizon of possibility was was something I was trying to figure out. And um, you know, I have this thing in the beginning of it called the sex in the city problem, which is like, you know, when when I looked around, I was like, how do you, how do you for like cis women, like how do you make a life when you're in your 30s and sort of like the ways that you're doing things in your 20s starts to peter out in terms of like finding meaning. And of course, there's the four archetypes. There's like, you know, a career, there's there's uh, motherhood, there's finding a partner, and then there's like being an artist um, with those four characters. And for me, the thing that was seemed hardest was being a mother. Like, you know, I can sort of see how trans women can do all these other things, but, but be, to be a mother, I'd sort of have to solve all of them. So I wrote this book about trans motherhood, um, partly to figure out like, what do I want? What would it look like? You know, how, how, what kind of, if I was to be honest about it, like really, really honest, um, what, what kind of like patterns in my life would I have to give up in terms of like dating bad men, the stories that I tell myself, the lies and delusions I tell myself about what's hard, um, you know, the, the, just like kind of like to really like have a child or to like make a family that way you just strip it all away. And so the, what I was trying to write, and I think what you were talking about when you did it is the reason it's a character study is that I had to create these characters who had problems similar to me and, and my friends. And then I had to strip, like, like really dissect those problems and, and try and get them to be like stripped away so that, so that then I could look at the options for my life without like, my vision occluded by by all those ways in which I think it's really easy to lie to yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. And I I see what you're saying in the book. You know, I really do see it. You are in your in your human life. You are you are a partnered person. Yes, I am a partner. You know, but that actually the funny thing is that happened after I after I like handed the last <laughs> draft of the book, like. <laughs> So it's a book about a triad and like I handed in the last draft of the book and I was like, well, I think at the far side of this, you know, motherhood is just not, not for me. Like I've done this whole process. And then I met, um, I met someone who had a 12 year old <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, she and I, and, and at the time her ex was like still sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, this is a strange, unconventional family situation that I've like ironically wandered into and you know um and now we have a sort of I, i'm in a family where i'm i raise i raise um the son like a quarter of the time and then he, he's with like various adults and sort of stuff but yeah um that all happened and i feel like it was good that i wrote a book to do a test case to see how i feel about it before i actually had to do it well, I mean, that doesn't feel accidental at all, right? The universe was like, yeah. was was giving you the opportunity to, I don't know, plant that seed in your mind and be like, yeah, 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 spend some time with this because yeah. it's about to come into your life. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, I was I was very surprised. Like one situations in my life was like, this is this is just chapter seven. Like this, I'm just doing chapter seven. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so then, with your parenting. A quarter of the time do, do you like what what word would you would you use the word like parent step parent mother what would you use written with 
with your relationship to this child? I like go in and out of it, like uh, of what it is. And for a little while I was using stepmom, but I really feel like that's actually ended up not being that good a descriptor of what I do. I think I think that there are like other mother figures already in his life. And I'm kind of like a, I don't know, like a, like a kooky aunt or like, (laughs) like a coach who shows up sometimes. And like, like I have some skills that like, no, none other adults have. Like I like the woods and stuff. So like, we'll go like into the woods together for a couple of days and I'll be like, here's how you start a fire or something, you know, here's how you, here's how, you know, like, I remember I, like I, we were chopping wood with like a, I, I was like, you should chop wood for a hatchet with a hatchet. And then I, I was like, oh, I wonder if any of the other parents would be like thrilled that I gave like a 12 year old a hatchet. You know? <laughs> I mean, when I was 12, honestly, all I wanted was a hatchet. So it sounds great to me. If I had been your kooky aunt, I would have been like, choose the choice. You are empowered to have a hatchet. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. I think I only had like a rubber hatchet at that time that I definitely carried around with me. I should have started with that. I just didn't have it around. Sure. A real hatchet. So. (laughs) Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I mean, I think something else that in what you're in the life that you're describing, it's it's like that also feels um, a little bit generational in that like, uh, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but I'm so I'm 40, and I feel like when also 40, yeah. Oh, awesome. Hello, yeah. Hello, fellow 40 year old, fellow 40 year old. So my from Illinois, in fact. Yeah. We're, yes. We're, we're we're the same hi, person. Hi, neighbor. <laughs> Hello, friend and neighbor. Yeah. Um, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, my my parents' generation was like that first generation of like women who worked and then some like didn't work and had kids, but, but like some worked the whole time. And so I feel like, I mean, and I was also raised like in a very Catholic community. So some of this is skewed by that, but like blended families and divorce and um, repartnering was like not something that I think was, like positively talked about at all you know and i had friends who as their parents were splitting up like one of my closest friends as her parents were splitting up it was like you know it was this like very doom and gloom situation because you know it just was like a we were just at a a really there was just a very it was a huge transitional moment i think in terms of like whether or not people stay in marriages that aren't working for them you know that was like 
what people were doing. Women couldn't have their own bank accounts. So like you can't leave a marriage if you don't, can't, you don't have your own bank account. So anyway, now I feel like I have friends, you know, it's like my friends, it's, it's not my parents. Now it's like my friends who are, you know, um, raising families in larger groups than just like a, a marital duo. And it's not that divorce doesn't seem to be difficult on kids because I do think like, you know, watching your parents split up or or even if they're not partnered, you know, like that we still do live in a paradigm of like there's a mom and a dad and they stay together yeah. forever. We still live in that paradigm. But I've also seen how positive it is for these kids who like have a sort of kind of what you're talking about, like people who bring different skills into their life and also the ability to like adapt to a lot of stuff. Like I, I my parents are awesome. It's great that they're still together, but I also didn't like I wasn't afforded the opportunity to um, have close relationships with other adults. Um, yeah. And I, I just have seen how much that can benefit um, my friends, kids and, and, you know, kids in my life that have that going on. It's like actually quite cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I really. I think it's and the, the thing is, I think it's good for adults, which is what makes it good for the kids. Oh, there is you that, go. Is that. You yeah, know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's like the adults are all happy. Like in our in our right. world, it's like the people who don't want to be married to each other, who don't want to share a bed, no longer have to, and then they can like bring their best self to their kids. And meanwhile, like it's really hard to raise a kid. Um, you know, I, I have only a quarter of the perception of what it would be like to to be raising a kid full time. But you know, people, people like people need breaks. And to be able to sort of be like, um, you know, uh, Gray's dad, if Gray's dad is like, you know, I want to go away with his new girlfriend for the weekend. It's not like, oh, I can't do that. It's like, oh, yeah, sure. Gray will stay with me or Gray will stay with, you know, his his actual aunt. and, And so like all the adults are like happy. And then when they and like excited and then we hang out with Gray and it, it, I think it works better. I mean, I. And I also think that there's something to be said for divorce as a process to like teach you about yourself. Like I love divorced women. Like I just think that they <laughs> they like Yes, I have they, seen you say this yeah, on the internet. Yeah, I just I love them. You know, like like it's they've had to examine themselves. They've had like this failure or this like reckoning and they they like know the right questions to ask. They know how to like look at themselves because they because divorce is really painful and like unless you want to do another one you got to like know what know a bit about who you are and know a bit about what you want and what you don't want and um you know all of that stuff like there's reasons why like i talk about on the internet in terms of how it influenced my book but in terms of my family I actually think it's great that every single adult in, in, in Gray's life has been divorced and that we're all like, yeah, we're not really going to buy into all that. Like, we're going to do it the way that works for us. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to like, we're not just going to jump into to, to maybe some prescriptive ways of doing that. Wait, Tori, are you a divorcee? I'm a divorcee. I'm, oh, uh, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know how I didn't. Oh, I, I too am a divorcee. A divorcee, um, yeah. <laughs> and divorcee is a 40-year-old divorcee is from the Yes, <laughs> beautiful. Um, also, I feel like though our hair is a different length, we do have sort of the same um, yes. 
color going on. So yeah, swoopy, we've got a lot. Like a swoopy, we've got a lot going on here. Blonde, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. I mean, for, I think for me, it's it is. It's like a I I yeah. Divorce is like a horrific process, and I think part of what made made it so also um, positive for me is that like you know it's that like. It doesn't matter how uh, healthy you are. If in a long-term partnership, you do merge things with another person. You merge like friend groups. You merge um, goals. You know, you like compromise. You you create a life together. It's like there is still a separate life, but there's also this shared um, whole set of like hopes and dreams and routine and normalcy and, you know, all of this stuff. And I think what I found is that when that person that you built that with goes away, um, in my experience, like you don't keep that. It's not like it's not like that shared thing. Now each of you gets half of it, like it's some asset. It's like that actual whole life goes away. So there's still the life that I had, um, but this shared life is just a a burst bubble. And um, I do think that that is one of those situations that we don't find ourselves in that often. You know, like so often in life we're building going forward and then just like, you know, moving on that track. But it's like coming out processes or, you know, changing, wildly changing a career process. It's like those processes in that it just like is a total restart, um, which we just don't get that often in life. And it it can do two things. Like when you go through it, like my divorce and my transition were aligned and so, and they sort of like acted on each other to like make the whole thing more exponential. But, you know, it was it, the idea of like, okay, once you lose something, then it's really hard going forward to not like grip whatever you have left so tightly, you know? <laughs> so you're like, I'm not going to do anything because I could like, if I make any other choices, like I, you know, I made a decision to transition and it cost me a lot. So what I've learned is making decisions or going forward is is very painful. I'll just make no decisions and no forward movement afterwards, you know? And like having to get through all that, having to basically be like, yeah, I could lose it all again. Something could happen. And that still means that like I have to keep going forward. I mean, that's a lot of what the book is about to me, you know, is is just keep on making decisions, keep on moving forward and not kind of getting stuck because you've made, you know, a couple of huge decisions and, and the, the, you can't go back. I mean, and that's, that's sort of it is like, okay, you've, you've made a big decision to transition, you made a big decision to divorce, whatever it is. And then now you're faced with, should you have a, should you have a kid? And that's another thing that once you've made that decision, your life before you've had a kid is not recuperable. You know, you can't just be like, Oh no no! I, so I changed my mind. I'll go back. Like that life is gone, and I'm I'm interested in those moments. I'm interested in like how people deal with them and like what what you have to know in order to to make those decisions. Wow! I want to ask before I forget. Um, and it sort of reflects me. You were just mentioning uh, the experience of somebody who's detransitioning is, I think, dealt with like very delicately in that it is just like describing one person's experience in this book and i I mean you're very careful about it and it's clear that that's true um but because it's in the title and because this is a topic that can be used against trans folks i'm just very curious about 
like the experience of you know deciding to include that deciding to include in the title and any response that you might have gotten around that from like say jackasses who didn't read the thing you know like i just think it's it's the actual book is it's very um it's just very clear um but you know not everybody is like (laughs) trying to not everybody's trying to give other people the benefit of the doubt. So um, no, as it yeah. turns out, some people read in bad faith. It was yes, that's discover. right. That's yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the for me, the I had self-published. Like I was like part of this like trans scene in Brooklyn, and it was like small press, and I'd self-published, and a lot of the stuff we did was like sort of provocative, and I was like kind of in that habit, and. Uh, when I when I thought of the title, but I actually it, in the end the title wasn't just like provocation for the sake of provocation. Like I really, I really, it was a very important title to me. And for the concept of detransition, you know, I I feel that I feel entitled to talk about that because I've transitioned, which means that the the prospect of detransition looms for me. It's a possibility for me, and. Um, and therefore, I want to think about it. And and usually, detransition, why people don't talk about it, is it's been weaponized uh, against trans people, as though that concept doesn't belong to us, as though, you know, it's not something that we face. And so then people, then because it's been weaponized against us, people are afraid to touch it. Like, you're, like, animating the weapon if you touch it. But for me, I'm like, no, this is a possibility for me. I could, de- I could have detransitioned. You know, something could happen in my life. Who knows? Maybe one day I will. You know, I, I, and so I want the right to talk about it. I want the right to talk. And I think that talking about this sort of stuff destigmatizes it, takes away the shame uh, around it. And so there's a there, part of the idea of, of making it so integral to the book was to like kind of reclaim it and then also a little bit to say, so what about it? Like, you know, the thing that most people said, like to hear me say is, is, um, oh, you know, most people detransition not because they're wrong about their gender, but because life as a trans person is really hard. And yeah, and that's you, in the you, book for sure. Yeah, like, it's that's like in it. that's in it. Yeah, yeah. But there's a part of me that's like, that's not even the most interesting question here. The most interesting question: we're talking about divorce. We're talking about irrevocable decisions, right? The interesting thing to me is. Because the weaponized story is to say, okay, let's say you detransition and then you regret it. I mean, that's very rare. But, but and so every, the answer politically is to push back and be like, that never happens. It's not why people detransition. But I'm kind of like, all right, let's take that on. Like, let's ask that question. So what we want to do is we want to outlaw the possibility for regret because there's so many like ugly things in that thing that like if you transition and then you detransition, now, now you're what? Some sort of monster? Like you've deformed your body forever? Like that's a that's a horrible thing that's in that weaponized discussion, and so and I know lots of people have detransitioned, and and yes, some things that they did with hormones are irrevocable, and they're happy. They like their bodies. They found like a middle place. They're cool with it. And so to like basically be like, no, actually, detransitioning is like a viable possibility. Maybe it makes you happy to transition and detransition. That's one thing. And then even beyond that, I'm kind of like, all right, let's say you regret it. Lots of times people like move across the country for new jobs. 
and you work move across the country and it doesn't work out and you have to come home with like your tail between your legs nobody says in response to that person well never move nobody ever should ever move across the country for a job let's outlaw this because you could regret it so everybody stay at home in your houses working the same jobs you've always worked because you might regret it if you do a career change that's not the logic so why is that logic applied to, de- to transition and detransition like for me reclaiming detransition also makes transition more possible it makes it like it's not so pressurized okay you transitioned it didn't like you you had to find some like wiggle room in the way you did it honestly so what like that this is just this we should just be able to talk about it and people who detransition and people who are tra- who have transitioned should not be positioned as as somehow like ideological enemies it's like we've all gone through the same thing like let's let's talk it over let's share information um you know let's let's find find that affinity between us yeah i think that's so smart and and helpful and you know it really it's it's like making me think of this idea that i think is is it's like this old idea that sort of applies to everybody in the like lgbtq community where it's like this born this way like Mm -hmm. had to like it's not a choice thinking that has that for a while was like so important in moving some parts of a civil rights movement forward where it's like i have no other option you know and this is there's no part of this that is me making a choice and therefore like i can't be disgusting because i have to do this and then that then that's so restrictive on our freedoms right because it's like i don't i'm sure i'm sure that like i don't have to wear men's clothing like i'm sure that i don't because there was a time in my life where i shopped in the women's section so like i'm sure that i don't um and i think when we make everything have to you know i mean that's it's like that's i understand why we went with that at a time in the movement you know but i i think that that's something that again it's like explaining it to a baby or something, you know, it's like explaining it to a baby or a Republican congressperson with such like uh, sort of offensively reductive terms where it's like, I mean, there are lots of choices that I make in how I present myself to the world. There are lots of choices that I make in who I've dated. It's like I, you know, um, I have had relationships that I don't regret with like, cis men earlier yeah. in my life you know that i didn't like they weren't um they didn't feel there's certain things that were missing from those relationships but it's not like i look back at them and i'm like they they were good i had some good experiences yeah. and I, I think it's yeah. just you know it's it is really it's really rough to put on a community the idea that like you're this only exists because the opposite is like abject yeah pain and horror and so then there's no flexibility to to move around you know and and you're positioning yourself constantly in a defensive way i mean you know that that was like what i didn't want to do for this book when you know i i didn't i didn't it's like none of the characters are like heroes none of them are like having a resilient story or like you know they're all really flawed and and part of it part of the way I felt comfortable writing these flawed trans characters 
was that I was I didn't feel very defensive about it. I wasn't like, oh, if if these characters are are like unhappy, it's going to give ammunition to people who say that trans people are unhappy. It's like I actually think that those people are anyone who says that is like doesn't know trans people, doesn't know anything and like why am I going to like position my entire like art around uh the opinions of ignorant people. You know that that's like a recipe for bad art. You know? So <laughs> Um, yeah. So there's like, and so if I'm not going to do it in my art, why would I do it in my like identity? Why would I do it in, in like my way of moving around? And I know that like, I mean, this year, like definitely like some bigots came after me and I, I, for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, wow. Like, like, um, uh, you know, I got, I got nominated for the, for the women's prize. Uh, and there it was like I was like a first trans woman nominated for the Women's Prize for Fiction in the UK, and you know, speaking of just like bad faith readings, it was like all of this kind of like hateful shit came at me, and I found in 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 the writing I was doing at the time, I was actually just like was like I can't write right now, not because I like don't know what I want to say, but because. I'm afraid that I'm going to write from a defensive position. I'm afraid that like, this is going to have a chilling effect and that like the people, instead of writing to the people that I care about and whose opinion matters, like I'm writing to sort of like close off access uh, to me by idiots. And that's like just such a, it's a boring way to write. It's boring to write uh, with the thoughts of idiots uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, totally <laughs> haranguing you. Like nobody wants to do that. So I was just like, I'm gonna wait. She's gonna stay off the internet for a little while. Like the voices, the idiots will recede, and I'll be able to write like from like an open and and like generative and like largely non-defensive place again. And I I think that actually came to pass. I I mean I really relate to what you're saying. You know I certainly have had experiences of like just being so angry um, and. Mm-hmm thinking that's a good place to speak from. (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, another thing, um, like I'm trying, I don't think since I've been reading, like since I've been, I mean, there's certainly like Stone Butch Blues. That's like before my time. I'm not like aware of how that was actually received by like a wide audience. Um, But I'm trying to think of a, of a book um, that has like represented the trans experience in this way. And then, you know, by a trans author that has like had this wide of a purview. And so, you know, I'm curious about whether you were like how you prepared yourself for that and how how you're doing just sort of being uh, that visible. Yeah, it's it's I actually spent the winter in uh, Colombia this this winter. And I was like largely because I just wanted to like get away from thinking about the book and and thinking and like start looking to like what's my next projects like what do i really think outside of sort of constantly talking about myself and or like talking about this book um <laughs> sure you know uh and um and i think that was really helpful in 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 resetting it but you know there's there's this, there's this idea I think that a lot of people had, like when I first gave the book to publishers, it was, they were like, this is like, this is 
this is such a queer story or something. And I was like, I was kind of like, is it? I mean, it is. Yes, of course it is. But like, you know, I, I sort of personally anticipated that there would be two complaints, that there would be complaints that it's too wild and too radical. And like, you're, you know, you're destroying the nuclear family on one hand. And on the other hand, that I would be like, that like queer radicals would accuse me of like assimilationism. And it's like, you're just, you're taking like, uh, you know, the sort of like wild, no futureness of the queer experience. And you're like domesticating it in this family novel. And, um, and so there was, and I and and that fear that I had of like those two things, I was like, actually, I'm kind of in the middle. Like I'm in the middle in terms of a little bit how I feel about families. Like, like I there's a part of me that wants to do like, you know, like a Sarah Shulman, like f- families are 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 I don't know, hold you back or like do a Foucault and say like friendship is the right way of life amongst queers or whatever. But a lot of my the the most comforting times in my life have been when I'm part of a family, and I just like whatever the politics might be. Like personally, I like being in a family unit, and um, and so and that desire like to be in a family unit is actually not that. There's been stories like that before. There were stories that have been told really well that way before, and in fact, like the entire tradition of. Uh, women's fiction has been quite preoccupied with this, like going back to uh, Jane Austen. So there was a way in which like, like how do you make a family is like the big question of Jane Austen. And it's been the big question of, you know, Virginia Woolf, you know, wrote about it in in a lot of her books and, and how do you be a member of a family? And, um, and most of like the quote unquote great American novels, uh, you know, Updike or Roth or like all these, a lot of them are just about being in a family. And Mary McCarthy, um, you know, to some degree, Toni Morrison, are, you know, th- these are their family books. And so there was a way in which like I just wrote a family book, only I wrote it, I, like inserted a trans woman into that family book to see what it looked like once you put a trans woman into the question of like nuclear families and things like that. And, um, and so when I gave it to publishers, a lot of them were like, yeah, wow, this is like wildly queer. Like we, this is like, we got to do all this sort of stuff. And I was like, you're actually not seeing the book that I gave you. Like you're seeing your idea of a book. Like you think that like queerness is like, once you have a queer book, it's like an experimental art form or it's doing, uh, you know, it's it's writing with new character, like like by characters, I mean like asterisks or something like that, like in the in the language. And I was like, this is actually like just a transiteration in like a long tradition of women's fiction. And so in the end, it was it was One World and Random House that published it. And I was like, look, you guys publish so much women's fiction every year. Women are who reads books, like you're kind of the best in the world at it. Like you don't actually have to reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. for me because I'm trans. Like just go to where you know your clients are. Be like, here's the same fiction that everybody else has been reading for a long time and uh, do what you always do. And they were sort of like, we can do that. Like, don't we have to like, like, you know, make something new because you're trans. and, And it's like, 
you know, if you have trans questions, direct them to me, but otherwise <laughs> just do what you do. And, and so I think, um, you know, there have been a lot of books that, that are like mine that I think could have equally gotten big. Like I, 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 I know a lot of trans writers. I admire them. It's not that my book is like somehow qualitatively different in, in terms of what I'm able to do. It's that I happen to be, I happen to be at, a, at the right place in the right time when those publishers were willing to treat me the same as all the other authors. And then once that happened, the book got really big. Um, and and my hope for this is like having now proven that that you can just treat trans authors the same as any other author. Um, they'll do they'll just start doing it and and to, you know there's like a little piece of me like i would never say it to anybody but like a little piece of me that like every time like a like someone trans gets like a big advance which has happened a fair amount since the book came out like I'll like a little pat myself on the back and be like you know and then i and then and then i don't say it publicly i am definitely not saying it publicly that i'm no. taking credit for their work Mm-mm. but uh uh but yeah i feel i'm like yeah that's like that feels good to me every, every time that, I, and it's been like already this year, um, three or four books that, you know, got five figure advances, some maybe even bigger. And, you know, I just saw one in the UK that had, was like the, it's like a pretty traditional romance that was like the subject of like a five way bidding war. And it's like, Oh, look, look, look what you can do. If you just don't, think that everything's an exception. I mean, you're speaking to the right audience because yeah. I don't know if you know this, but my wife is an editor and is friends with your yeah. editor, actually. And uh, um, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I certainly know it's I, I feel like this is, you know, this is like what we talk about over dinner um, yeah. kind of a thing. And uh, and it is a huge deal to I mean, I, I'm it just is like it's I'm thinking about the like barrier gaze um, situation in. Hollywood. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or when I say no, tell me. Days? Tell So me it's that. it's like it's the idea that it's like that's like the term. I mean, there's a term. Uh-huh. So that's that like yeah. you know queer characters will be like shot in the head, like at like yeah. just you know the idea that like you introduce a queer character and I, I mean I think it's writers' rooms like historically this is a this is a little different now, but like historically yeah. when it wasn't own voices storytelling. Yeah, and this is not this is when I say a little different. It's not totally different so when it was an own voices storytelling it's just like i could imagine this room of people that are like well we want to include this type of character we want to include like a trans character we want to include it's that like lesbian longing where they're like Mm -hmm. there's like furtive glances for just like seasons and then they kiss one time and um there was a huge moment for this on a television show called the 100 that um where there was a uh couple that was that their ship name was Klexa. Look, I don't I know lots of stuff about it. <laughs> um, and literally they like make out and then there's like an errant bullet like comes in through yeah. a window and kills them, you know. And so to me, when that happens, it's like it's not just because that's like high drama. It's actually it's like I just I feel like I can see the imagination just like running out, like people being like, yeah. OK, so they were it was a will they won't they storyline. And then they did. So what now you know or like or you know positioning at like 
transitioning is the end, for instance, like something like that. Like, oh, they were struggling with this for a long time. They decided to transition and it's, and it's the it's the never seeing beyond. It's like, yeah, it's also the idea of like, oh, you know, woman, she thinks she's straight. She's married to a man. But then here's this like dalliance. And then, you know, I mean, obviously we all love the look <laughs> at the end of Carol. We all love yeah. the look at the end of Carol. But like what happens next, you know, and when we never yeah. tell those stories, it's I think. I think when we never tell those stories, it does make it hard to then like live a life because it's just it's not I mean, yes, I can get some information from like elder queers about like choices yeah. that are possible. But that's as you the whole time that we've been talking, as you've been talking about writing as imagining for yourself, yeah. that makes so much sense to me because it's like. Yeah, I mean, I I guess it's like we're all, you know, there's a lot of being in our own homes, having like a choose your own adventure experience, because what what are we supposed to do? Like, yes, yeah. we're supposed to like fight for our rights, I guess. I mean, you know, it's like we're supposed to craft our statements about what's happening in Florida. But like, how are we supposed to exist in a family structure like you're talking about or in at the grocery store? You know, I just think all of that stuff is so undiscovered and, and especially places like publishing or other areas of the entertainment industry because it's like I think the sexiness of being normal people is something that I love but I don't know that it's something that has been like cherished outside of the community I think that's true I also think that there's like it's a real like there's the ethical question but there's also the artistic question where you're like you're really leaving a lot on the table like yes like totally like the to me (laughs) the most like like transitions are actually quite boring like i know when you're going through it it's like the biggest thing in the world but like you see enough transitions and you realize like oh my god there's like such a pattern it's like it's it's gonna play out this way or that way and i don't just mean on tv i mean like in real life it's like yes, yes. Somebody and they're like, three months they tell you this and you're like all right can't wait to hear what you say in six months and then it's like this just as you predicted and it's like two years into after transition that people start really finding their own way becoming their own unique people become make like weird interesting bizarre decisions you know where it's like and so there's a part of me where it's like transition is like banal and on top of that it's like um it's it's overdetermined like you you can't tell somebody about a about a transition without them like kind of already knowing the script like there's a cultural script and so like getting to get around it is you have to do like a whole lot of the techniques in this book was were about like you know whether it was like sort of like the weird sort of humor about this kind of stuff about detransition which is in some ways like telling a transition story in reverse just so that people can like see what the actual dynamics are because you just you glaze over because you think you know what you're gonna get and we're like a will a, a will they or won't they story it's like well we mostly know how well they are want their story goes like what the the interesting thing is like like when what happens with carol like three years into the relationship when the heat has died a little bit you know everybody i know there's such different ages yeah like i want to know what how does that play yeah like that is when it gets really interesting that's when it's like and and um it gets interesting in stories and it gets interesting in, 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 in just when you meet people and, and the, that's like, that tends to be the people who I'm like, how are you doing it? Like, what are you, 
what are you thinking, <laughs> you know, with that choice you made? Um, so I, I think just like, you know, as, as writers, like there's, I'm excited for like, yeah, like there's so much potential because nobody's telling these stories. So I get to tell them. And even though they're like quite common in the world, I get, I get the, I get the benefit of looking like I like have all this wisdom that I'm telling a story that's never been told before. And it's actually like, I just saw it down the street with Dan or something. Yeah, you, know, like, totally. <laughs> you know, what you're talking about is like the motivation for why I wanted to start this podcast several years ago too, because I was, I heard this, I was listening to an interview on a giant and popular NPR interview show <laughs> with a friend of mine who is a professional sports star. And mm -hmm. uh, that person was asked about, like, they're a queer person and they were asked if they had ever slept with a um, person of the opposite sex. Just, it was so weird because it's a, yeah. you know, they're like a sports figure. And it also, to me, it just was like this moment that crystallized all of this, like how interviews. You know, I've done so many interviews where like it's like, how did your parents take it is like one of the biggest questions where I'm like, that is not even about me. Like, yeah. I mean, and also like. I mean, you're like trauma fishing, you know, you want the like yeah. most painful thing and it's not even it doesn't have anything about me. Also, those two decades ago, many things have happened yeah. in my life since then, you know, just as like. And so the fixation with things like that, I, I was just like, oh, there has to be. You know, a, uh, is there a show where like just queer people talk to each other? And weirdly, I mean, this is just a few years ago, like there really wasn't like there wasn't really yeah. a show where it was like mostly I don't talk about, you know, the moment of like, when did you know whatever it is? Like, I mostly don't talk about that because um, it's like it's not really where most people that I talk to are. So I kind of talk about where we are now. Yeah. And if you did, you'd get the same story. It'd be like, let's hear the same iteration of the story over right. and over and over. Right, right, right. Like, <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like every week, it's the same thing. You yeah, know? So. exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um... What are, what are you up to right now? And you don't have to that you don't even have to take uh, that in an art sense because I know after you do a big things, sometimes people want to know what you're doing there. But what are you up to in general? I'm like at a crossroads. I'm at, I'm like um, so the show the sorry the show the book got optioned as a show mm -hmm. and um, and I wrote the pilot and the next episode for it and it's like in development and. You know, it's not like necessarily gonna be made, but it's I, you know, I'm feeling optimistic. But also, like the more I do this, the the more I'm realizing, like, oh my god, like it, it's really a lot of work to do to do a television show. It was like fun. It yes. was like very like at first. It was like it was like I was playing Hollywood. You know, it was like I, I went to like L.A. and I like like wore sunglasses and like you know it was like absolutely you got to wear sunglasses. The did, sun is so bright. Finger guns. It was great. Uh -huh, like uh -huh. you know, uh, it was like I just I realized nobody in L.A. does that. I'm sorry. My stereotypes. No, are I do wrong. not, and that's a big part of my life. So <laughs> finger right. guns and sunglasses. Hundred <laughs> percent. <Yeah. laughs> People are like, where did you go, Tori? That wasn't L.A. <laughs> uh, 
uh, I don't know. I just like was, you know, I was like, I, I was like kind of like, I hadn't been spent a lot of time in, um, in LA. So it was fun for me to like, kind of like role play being, being there. And then now it's like starting to get real where I'm like, Oh, I have to like do all this stuff and it's very stressful. And, um, and, uh, and what I always wanted to be was a novelist. And there's, it's like, it's like, I did all this for 20 years. I was trying to be a novelist before this book happened. And so it's like, now you're there, but, uh, and you could do it, but there's like this shiny, this shiny object that is, is very exciting. Um, so I'm kind of just trying to figure out like what I'm, I'm trying to answer that question. Not so much on like what I want to do for my art, but like, what do I want to do for my lifestyle? Like, how do I want to live? And, um, uh, you know, uh, do I want to, do I want to live in New York? The going to Columbia, being able to basically be like, I'm exhausted and I need like new inspiration and I'm just going to like leave the country. Cause I, you know, can right now that felt great. And, and I, I don't know if that's like something that might be necessary for me to write good books. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a funny thing about um, Hollywood also in my experiences that like being good at one thing and maybe this is like just kind of all art right now, but it's like so um, specialization is so sort of of the past. And there's, I think yeah. we're in a moment of like, well, if you can do this, you can definitely also do this immediately right now with no training, just like hit the ground running. And like, you might not have had context or like been in this situation before, but like it's actually due on Tuesday. So, you know, like yeah. I feel like that moment is sort of where um, we are, which can be very exciting and also can be really you know, overwhelming because it's like constantly thrust into situations where you were, I think this, I think this decision comes up again and again of like, okay, someone says I can do this, but like, is that what I want to do? And also, you know, how much pressure do I want to put on myself to learn actually what is an entirely different skill? Like it's like right. writing for television oh. and being a novelist. It's like, that's not even the same but you know, it's this idea of like, well, if you're a writer, you're a writer. And it's like, no, this is like actually a totally different job. Some people just do this job. You know, some people right. just do that job. <laughs> like there's not, there's not, there's not. Um, but yeah, so I, I certainly hear you. For me, it's, it's, it's been, it has been cool, like though, to, to collaborate. Like that has been, and that, oh, yeah. that has been the other thing that's been, um, so like, uh, it's lonely writing books, you know, and I, and I think I yes. wrote the book out of like a place of loneliness and, uh, yeah, you know, and so suddenly there's when I also am like, oh, I want to be an artist and I'll just like go to the woods and think of my ideas and be deep or whatever. Um, you know, or I could like hang out in like a room of funny people, you know, for, for, a couple of oh, years. Oh, don't fall like, into that trap. Trust me, it gets involved. <laughs> you don't want to, you think you want to be in a room of funny people, but Tori, we'll no. offline this conversation. But no. That's good to know. I mean, I, but I do, I do. Maybe like what it really is, is like the romance of like having a community. Like, like my favorite time writing was when I moved to Brooklyn in, in, in 2013. And it was like all these trans women were moving to Brooklyn 
and or trans people, but the scene that of writers I was in was like really trans women, and and a, a lot of them have gone on to publish books and done pretty well. But there was this period where we were all like, you know, writing the equivalent of like little zines together, and we'd like go to a bar and and share, do our like readings in front of five or six people, and like get drunk and and like argue and and. Um, and like the whole world was both like our social lives together and also like these our writing together. And um I I always want that. Like I want I, I want whenever I read about scenes, like I read about the Harlem Renaissance, I read about you know Paris in the twenties, or just you know, there's that uh like uh Donna Tart and Jane McGarney or whatever in the eighties. I'm just like, I want that. Like I wanna be around. I don't want to do this alone. And, you know, you're 40, I'm 40. It's harder and harder to to not kind of do it alone right now. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's certainly my experience, what you're talking about, too. I mean, you know, it's like you start when you're stand up, you start at open mics and it's just there's, you know, it's not just an audience. There's like six, literally 60 other people there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are waiting to do the same thing you're doing. And um I think I I don't know. I feel like this is true for like a lot of art careers. I don't know. Maybe listeners could tell me if it's true in other fields too. But it is sort of it does feel like it's um connected to like I would imagine if you start somewhere as a receptionist or like an assistant or something, you also have a community of other people who do that. The further you're going in your career or whatever somebody's job is, they're like a med student. You know, it's like the further you're going, I do think there's a an isolation that comes with um progress like with forward yeah. progress that i that is really hard yeah i think it's really hard because yeah i didn't get into my job to like never see another person um and <laughs> i my 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 heart to my like heart my stand up heart got broken a few years ago when i was like realizing that my whole job was just being in hotel rooms by myself which is actually currently where i am in a hotel room by myself oh. but i was just like i can't fucking deal with this anymore you know and so um you know it took a lot of steps in my life to sort of undo that i saw it on the horizon of just like yeah. just hot- i just saw endless hotel rooms and was like no like i can't yeah um that feels really wise to me so that it's not necessarily because I think I've been like a little bit blaming myself for it you know I was like a little bit like I was like partly it's COVID but like should I just be like trying harder should I be like trying to like do salons like how do I get and and it feels good actually for me for you to tell me like oh no it's like across disciplines it's not like a failure it's just like it's you have to put in so much work that you don't have as much time and you don't have as much in common. Um, that feels good. Cause I, I, I do think I give myself a hard time for not, you know, not that, that it feels like some sort of failure in myself that I don't have, that I'm not like here with whatever, like Voltaire's salon or something, but trans, or, you know? Wow. I so hear you. I mean, yeah, let me just really affirm for you that, I had to make a ton of choices to reach out and create community. And some of them are also not like work community because some of that is just inaccessible to me um, because people have their own shit going on. So like, you know, I did things like joined book clubs and 
um, which would be different for you as a writer, but, but, um, and like, and like, like, sounds fun. (laughs) Go to, well, you can join comedy clubs. That's nothing. Um, I, yeah, I, or like I go lap swimming at the YMCA in my neighborhood and I, um, I take like bar classes, which literally in a fucking million years, I never would have told you that I was going to take like a group exercise class but it is actually for this reason that you're talking about it's like i i need to feel like i see replicable people and i am trying for that in my career also but if it's not there i i just realized that i needed to like see if there were other places where if i show up there are some people there and you know i can just kind of like passively have community um thank you thank you for thank you for that that's actually that's really that feels good to hear. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tori, of course. <laughs> um, well, this is we've. I, I loved speaking with you. I was actually like, I felt so intimidated to talk to you because I love your book so much, and I um, I just thought, I I just was yeah. I was really like, oh, I I hope it goes well, and yeah, and <laughs> you were so generous, and I really love speaking with you. Well, I, I feel like it did. I think we did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> we did do a great job. Um, yeah, thank you. And before I send you off into your day, there's one last thing that I ask the guests, which is, um, can you shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shout out Morgan and Paige, who um, runs the podcast One from the Vaults, which is a, a a podcast of trans history. Um, she's very funny. She sort of treats trans history as like a long string of gossip. So like every every like historical um, trans person is discussed as though you'd be discussing you know some messy girl that you know. Um, it's just very entertaining. But Morgan and I also had. She's slightly younger than me, but came out before me. And we had a sort of like all about Eve, like Margot Eve relationship. Um, our our whole our whole relate, yeah. As long as we've known each other, and so she was like the Margot, I was the Eve, and um, and and then it switches back and forth, you know, depending on which uh, what, how you want to look at age and experience. But um, she taught me a lot about ways of being, and and. Um, just watching her navigate the world was was really instructive. So, uh, Morgan, it really pains me to say it, but you are my queer out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm so sorry that you had to admit that, but yeah, yeah. Sh- shout out to Morgan and um, Tori. It was really good to speak with you. It was great to be here. Hey, Queeros, I just want to mention that your support on Patreon, your patronage, as it will, has actually made it possible for me to keep doing this podcast over the last couple of years. During the pandemic, when all of my jobs were canceled, (laughs) it was really helpful to be able to get paid a little bit more to do this job, where I basically make no money at all. Um, But it just gives me the chance to be able to focus on this and care about it and still have it in my life. So thank you so much you make it possible um, for this show to exist. And I want to especially thank my patrons, Robin Moxley, Beck, Chantal McClelland, Leslie Goditis, Paula Vavadowski, Francine Belbina, 
Rachel McIntyre, Ethan Peterson, Brittany Carlson, Kevin Fry, Levon Sawake, Stacey M., Tanya Josek, Chloe Vicker, Carrie Boland, Bobby Dahmer, Audrey Rar, Katie Gagliardo, Jessica Lustig, Liesl Jensen, Danny Alcorn, Brenda Esposito, Jennifer Grind, Grindy? Grind. Fiona Ding, Mara Barra, Amy A., and Catherine Michaels. If you would like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash and I promise you, it makes a huge difference. Thanks again.